Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Mic droppers, we're going to start a little bit early today um, because we've got a lot to cover and we've got a regularly scheduled podcast going tomorrow. And I'm a little nervous about whether or not my voice is going to be able to hold out. So let's let's get started. Let's go ahead and jump on. Um, this is Mic Drop, your Colin application podcast where we are going to be covering developments as they arise and regularly scheduled on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. East Coast time on everything you need to be thinking about related to the midterms. Be here to answer your questions. I wanted to have this special episode pop up because of the Herschel Walker dynamics, which I think everybody is keenly aware about. But a couple things before we get going on this too 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 uh, too closely. The the first is I want to have this discussion because I want to talk about the way you handle a situation like this as a campaign professional. Okay, and I want to talk specifically about some recent examples that I think everybody can relate to and watch because it's going to be really telling about what not only what the campaigns do but how how much the campaign. The Herschel Walker campaign is either being hurt by this or, and buckle your seatbelts, folks, possibly helped by this. And that that's what I want to talk about, okay? There, there's a whole lot to be examined about the Republican Party and how horrible they are. We can talk about that. Uh, you know, Christian Walker uh, is, a, is a really sad uh, story, and the pain that is happening in this family is very real. I don't want to get in too deep into that or armchair quarterback on that too much. One, it's not my area of expertise. And two, in my 30 years of doing this, I have seen many, many families, especially the sons and daughters of candidates, just have their lives completely destroyed. It's new and it's a unique thing to watch this happen unfold in such a highly publicized, highly public way. Um, and we can all speculate as to whether he's doing it for his own purposes, to build his own following, or why he should have said something earlier, all the horrible things he said to people in the past. That's fine. That's fair. If you want to have that debate, you can have that debate. All I'm saying is it's evident that this is a human being that is in a lot of pain. I think it's clear that he has been for a long time. I'm not an expert in this space, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. So let's try to keep the conversation more focused on what it means, what the campaign's going to do in the next 24, 48, 72 hours and 30 days, and what it could mean for the balance of control in the Senate. And then we should also talk about some of the other midterm dynamics that are happening as well. We are going to do a regularly scheduled mic drop tomorrow, Wednesday, so we want you guys to be there for that too, but... But that was the reason I wanted to have this call. It's a real unique opportunity to share some insight from a practitioner's perspective, somebody who's been in these situations before, about what you're thinking about if you're Herschel Walker's campaign manager, his political consultant, how do you handle this, what the reaction from both campaigns are going to be, and what that's going to tell us about the trajectory of the race. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about Warnock, too, and what you do um, as, as Warnock's campaign guy. We can also throw in Abrams and Kemp, too, by the way, because they're, they're, they are they are part of this collateral damage. This is a big, big bomb, okay? And the question is going to be, did it hit its intended target? And, and we're going to talk about whether or not this was oppo or not. I, I don't think it was, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about the timing. We're going to talk about the reaction. We're going to talk about base Republican voters, base Democratic voters. We're going to talk about all of it, okay? So without further ado... 
I think we all know. And by the way, if something happens, this, this is happening so damn fast that if something pops up in the middle of my discussion about this, if Christian Walker posts another video, if the NRSC says something about it, if, if a TV, you know, if a, if a Twitter report comes in that that time has been pulled by the Republicans or the Democrats, or if there's a tweet by Herschel Walker, whatever it is, whatever story breaks, because there's a lot of reporters trying to find Herschel Walker at this moment and get something out of this, uh, highlight it. Let me know. Put it in the chat and let's let's have a discussion about it and jump up on stage um, and, and get us going. OK, we've got a really good crowd here today. Excited about this already. Um if you can, share the fact that this discussion is happening. That really helps. And by the way, if you're new to Mic Drop or haven't been a subscriber yet, subscribe so that you get that notice that we're going to be having this discussion. And um, just over the next month, we'll be doing these periodically like this. So again, long introduction. Sorry about the windup. Had to take care of some housekeeping. Go ahead and jump on to the into the queue. Uh, if you've got questions, and as soon as we start getting um, to critical mass, we'll open it up to, to questions on the floor. But let me do a little bit of a, of a 101 here. Revelations obviously come out in the Daily Beast. Very important that it's the Daily Beast. They come out. It's not the Washington Post. It's not the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's the Daily Beast. That Herschel Walker, a pro-life candidate running against um, a pro-choice candidate in uh, Raphael Warnock, um, had paid for an abortion from a previous girlfriend. He was a single man. She was a single woman. Um, he, she kept the, the check, still has a copy of the check, as well as a, get this, a get well card, uh, which he inserted the check and mailed to her. That's a whole separate issue. Um, to pay for all the, all the, uh, the, the medical services that she required, and she has come forward. Apparently they are still, or at least were up until yesterday, on good speaking terms. She grew increasingly angry about the abortion rhetoric post-Dobbs. And her story comes out, and she is at this moment anonymous. That's another important point to keep in mind. The two, the two main factors here are, in my estimation, if I'm the campaign manager watching this, Daily Beast, and she remains anonymous. Two important, two important considerations, okay? You can tell by the right-wing punditry, especially Eric Erickson from Red State, uh, that they, the, 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 the right-wing was going to try to immediately dismiss this. This was no big deal. This is, of course, happening. This is an old story. Flood the zone with shit, and uh, we won't allow this story to get traction. And that's their immediate response. The campaign itself, Walker's campaign itself, immediately starts to feel pressure, and so they call Hannity and say, we've got to get Walker on Fox News tonight. We've got to get him on now so that no hemorrhaging happens, okay? Where do you go? You go to Fox News if you're a statewide candidate and you make the case as strongly as you can to rally the base, to keep those voters with you, and to lock folks down, okay? So at the, at the moment, we're all in a very typical frame. Daily, Bre Daily Beast breaks the story woman remains anonymous the re republican right-wing you know um chattering class dismisses this walker's people put him on hannity this is all in a three four hour uh episode and walker denies the allegations okay we all know all this this is, again is just for for those of you in the back of the room who might have been asleep and are just kind of 
trying to join in at the last minute. But then, then, then something remarkable happens, and that is the son of the candidate, Christian Walker, just completely um, goes nuclear on his father, calls him a liar, calls him an abuser, says, of course, this was happening. We all knew a lot of stuff like this was going to come out because of your own, essentially your own narcissism. You decided to plow forward. Now we've got to deal with the blowback. You're lying about my mom. You're lying about me. All of the tirades that have gone on about a, a single fatherhood have really been about you this whole time. People have looked at me as a hypocrite or a child of privilege. Yeah, maybe that's true. But the bottom line is you were a really bad dad and I'm in a hell of a lot of pain. And my pain has been on public display for a long time. But now you are clearly the cause of it. And this is an example of it. And I've had it with, and this is very, 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 very important. I've had it with the lies. It wasn't even the act. He's calling out the dishonesty and the lies. And this issue is now, I believe, much, much bigger than the abortion issue, which was problematic probably in the first place. We're going to talk about how problematic or not problematic, but there's a bigger, bigger issue that is going to start bleeding into the conversation over the course of the next 30 days. Okay? Everyone follow with me? That's where we're at. Now, <clears throat> the, 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 the Christian Walker um, posts appear on their face to be absolutely devastating. Okay? But... And, and the reason why I wanted to do this special session is because I was on a, on a pro- podcast this morning with, with Joe Trippi. Uh, Joe Trippi um, is a longtime Democratic hand, mutual respect and admiration for each other over many, many years of being in the business together. Joe Trippi was Doug Moore's political consultant, uh, Doug Jones's political consultant, I'm sorry, when the Roy Moore situation happened in neighboring Alabama. And, 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 we spend a good time uh, talking about this dynamic on the podcast this morning so much so that I decided to have this, this talk because we were walking through the elements of what a campaign does in this moment. And Trippy reminded me, and I'm going to remind all of you, that in the immediate discussions with underage girls that his approval ratings popped up four points. Republicans supported him at higher levels than previously. Okay? It's really, really important because I think we're going to see that same effect. I think we're going to start seeing that same dynamic. Um, And and Corey Corey Nathan, who is a host of the podcast, is in the chat right now. Corey, why don't you go ahead and put in uh, the, the name? It's... Talking Religion and Politics podcast. I think it's going to be really good to listen to. You all ought to tune into it. I think it's going to go up on Sunday. Um, but, but you can tune into there and follow Corey and follow the podcast. It's, it's, it's going to be a really good talk. I, I don't think it could be better timing to have a, a good dem and a good reap kind of assess the situation here. So anyway, Trippy reminds me that, that, that the Republican base rallies behind Roy Moore when the Washington Post puts this article. I believe that's exactly what's going to happen. And the first thing that you heard was the NRSC putting out a statement saying – this is a lie. Walker has, Herschel Walker has said it's a lie. We stand behind him. We're not pulling any of our money. Tens of millions of dollars have been invested in Georgia uh, to this point in time. They're doubling down on their investment. Incidentally, incidentally, very telling that they're not moving that money out of Georgia to Arizona to, to shore up Blake Masters. 
right? The Republicans have like left Blake Masters on his own. They're like, you're, you're roadkill. You're dead man walking. We think Herschel Walker's got a better chance with this nuclear bomb dropping on his head in Georgia than Blake Masters had in Arizona for close Senate watchers. You need to be looking at that scorecard. You need to be following the money following the dollars and looking at where the Republicans themselves think they can actually win these races, Arizona's moving away, okay? Even after this nuclear bomb hits, they're still not going to be with Blake Masters. They're going to try to revive Herschel Walker. And watching that spend over the next 72 hours is going to tell you everything you need to know because I guarantee you right now there are at least 30 Democratic pollsters and 30 Republican pollsters in the field right now in Georgia putting together a poll to assess how much damage has been inflicted at this moment, okay? And like I said, there's a very good chance that the next news cycle you're going to see in four or five days is going to show Herschel Walker bouncing to a three-point, two-point lead above Warnock. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying if it does happen, this is a, a, a normal trajectory when this kind of a trauma crisis hits the campaign okay this is exactly what happened in alabama when doug moore's revelations came out you are also hearing the herschel walker campaign messaging that they are raising money at a record pace right now now we won't know if that's true or if they're just bullshitting and putting that out there but i wouldn't be surprised by that either Okay, this is what happens when all races are nationalized and people on both sides view the Senate as the most existential threat to to the country if either side takes control. Okay, people all over. Grandma's going to find her, you know, an extra five bucks out of Oklahoma and send it down to Herschel Walker in Georgia because she can't believe or doesn't want to believe that the that the Republicans will lose the Senate. Notice I didn't say whether the allegations are true. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anybody who watched Dana Loesch's spot, you can see it on Patriot Takes on Twitter, Dana Loesch just came out and said, I don't care if Herschel Walker was paying to have bald eagles you know, killed. I, I, I don't care about anything except for control of the Senate. Anything. So if you're shocked or surprised that you're not going to see immediate Republican hemorrhaging, let me disabuse yourself of that notion right now. And even if you do see a six, seven, eight point slide, do not be surprised if that rebounds back very quickly. Okay? That is just the nature of the partisan environment that we are in at this moment. I think it's particularly pronounced with Republicans. Because they've been buying into crazy and backing up crazy since at least 2016. They've been making uh, apologies and excuses for deeply flawed candidates since Donald Trump won the nomination. They're used to this. Okay, this is not their first, you know, uh, the first abuse of their party telling them they've got to support really horrible people that have done really bad shit and are lying about it for a long time. These people have long ago dismissed and buried their shame okay that's gone the the, the republican voter is completely habituated into this environment i'm not going to also say that democrats in to a large extent wouldn't rally around their candidate if the threat was this existential too okay don't don't i'll franken me on this okay we were talking about different majorities if the how if the senate came down to one vote one election 
with the stakes that are at play here. And revelations came out about a Democratic candidate. I'm not saying all Democrats, but I'm saying most Democrats by a wide margin would rally around the flag. Okay? That's just, that's just, that's just the way it is. That's just where we're at in America in 2022. Okay? Regardless, either one of those scenarios is what you are likely to see. But here's what's important, okay? The public polls are only going to tell us so much. What's going to really tell us what's happening and how much damage, if any, has been inflicted is going to be by with what Herschel Walker does next, okay? So here's what the campaign did, going into crisis mode. They immediately organized a prayer breakfast and have Herschel go in and have everybody lay hands on Herschel Walker Talk about putting on Christian armor around him and protecting against the satanic secular attacks that are coming at him right now because it couldn't be me, it couldn't be my responsibility, it couldn't be my past. What this is is the attacks, the forces of evil are descending upon us. And those of us prayer warriors who are the true believers and the chosen people are going to rally around our candidate and we're going to defend him against this evil which is also trying to overtake not just the Senate, but our schools and our, our other levels of government and America herself, okay? That is the first visual demonstration. And again, they did not allow press in there. They're just leaking photos. They're leaking photos of people all around him, 99% white Christians, by the way, laying hands on him and saying that the Christian community, the church community, the Southern Baptist community specifically is standing by Herschel Walker, and they're going to defend him against these attacks. Okay? That's what's, that's what's going on. That's their first move, is to, again, preemptively and in their own media bubbles start to say, our candidate's here, our candidate's shaken. The next thing that's going to have to happen is they're going to have to message. And here's where it gets messy. Here's the real big decision for the campaign and what they've got to make a decision on. You can do one of three things here. And in Herschel Walker's case, it's really only two. But let's just, let's just for, for the purposes of drawing up on, on the whiteboard on a crisis comms in the middle of a shit show 101, as taught by Mike Madrid, you can deny it. That's one. Two is you can admit it, but kind of waver on whether or not it was important or it mattered or if that was you know a, a time passed and I'm a different man now. I don't think, by the way, that that's a real option for him. Or three, you can admit it and beg forgiveness and say, I will, I will not, I did it, but I will absolutely never do it again. And I was so ashamed of what I did that I lied about it. And I'm asking for your forgiveness as any good Christian would. And I'm hoping that if God can forgive me, you can forgive me too. Okay. His decisions are between one and three. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to you know I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. But I'm gonna run through. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down both rabbit holes for you because I want you to know how we're thinking about this in a campaign construct. The first is if you, you do not. You are setting yourself up for an extraordinarily long run 
of nothing but negative news. And sometimes that's not a bad strategy, by the way. This is what Moore tried to do. Like, I think in Alabama, I can just deny, 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 and attack the media, attack the government, attack the establishment, blame the Democrats, blame blame all the bad people act this incidentally is not a bad strategy if out herschel walker's the next thing that's going to happen is this woman is probably going to be made public by somebody except the daily beast but the, the, uh, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But the character and make her the villainous here, then you've got. You, I'm getting some feedback from folks that I might be not connecting too well. Give me a thumbs up if I'm connecting okay. To at least why strategically what he was trying to do was um, deny was that he, he had a, a shorter window, by the way. Okay? And he believed that Alabama, which has a stronger and larger Republican base, would stick with him for a longer period of time. He was ultimately proven wrong, but that was what his effort was trying to do. Now, of course, I think he's an amoral guy, and I think it was terrible, and I'm glad that he lost. But as a strategy, it actually was not a bad strategy. For Herschel Walker, it's a different consideration, and here is why. 30 days is a long, long time to hold on to a base in a campaign in the state of Georgia for a Republican who was just starting to peak over the 50% margin. He was just beginning to surpass Warnock in the polls. Kemp, as we've talked about, Kemp running for governor, has solidified the base. He's in a strong position to win. The Republican base has come home. Walker has not been in that same position. Walker has been in trouble. Walker has not been in as close a contention in Georgia as a Republican should be. And his problem has been because Republicans didn't trust him. They haven't trusted him and they haven't liked him. They were just coming back around to him as we're heading into the stretch of the campaigns. All these Republicans were like, I really don't like the guy, but damn, he's better than any Democrat. So fine, I'm going to vote for him. Just as his average was starting to peak up past Warnock, just as I was telling you guys a couple of days ago, that I was starting to believe that Warnock was actually susceptible to the insurgency of the Walker campaign, this bomb hits. And again, we're not going to know whether or not the base is secured or not for, for Walker, but it hasn't been very strong and it hasn't been condensed for long enough to suggest that it's not immovable. In fact, I would argue it's still probably pretty tenuous, pretty weak, and this is exactly the type of shot that if he loses four or five Six percent of that Republican base, he's gone. He's done. It's over. The question is, is that going to be the case? And again, he's got a hold. If he denies, if he continues to deny that this happened, he's got 
to he's got to keep that offensive footing going for 30 days. Is that possible? I don't think so. And here's why. Here's why. One, again, weak base. That that's a stri- big strike against them. There's already a lot of people who aren't fully convinced, certainly not strongly, that Walker's their guy. They were just coming around to him. Easy to knock those guys off. But two, and here's the most important piece, guys. It's October 3rd this story broke. Today's October 4th. We're 30 days out of this campaign. If you don't think that truck load full of oppo research that is ready to dump on Herschel Walker, you're nuts. This was not this probably was not even the biggest bombshell that's coming. You never dump oppo with your biggest bomb first. Ever. No professional politico does that. You bleed it out with the smallest stuff first. Now, there's been a lot of stuff out there on Herschel Walker. Everyone knows he's been a flawed candidate. It's in large part why he's had such a difficulty rallying Republicans to believe in him, commit to him, and trust him. And just as he was, this story breaks. Okay? Now, I mentioned in the outset, it's the Daily Beast where this comes from. didn't come from the Washington Post. Wasn't the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. If I'm the campaign, if I'm the Warnock campaign, or if I'm the Democratic Senatorial Committee, and I find this dirt, and I find this woman willing to show me the check and show me a, a photograph of this Get Well Soon card, I'm not giving it to the Daily Beast. Okay, I'm giving it to, to the Atlantic Journal-Constitution, the, Atlanta, the AJC. I'm giving it to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, or I'm giving it to the Washington Post, maybe the New York Times. Because you're not just shutting it down with a broader readership, you're also shutting down all the money uh, and, and establishment support. That's how you drop oppo, uh, something this big. And what that tells me is, this was literally good journalism, which, by the way, the reporter who, is, who broke this story for the Daily Beast is saying that on his Twitter feed. This was not an oppo dump. This is just me doing damn good reporting. It's finding a rumor, tracking it down, getting a hold of this woman, talking to this woman, protecting her identity, releasing it the way that she would, and that's just good journalism on behalf of the Daily Beast. This wasn't a standard oppo dump. But... But any Politico who's got as much oppo as they've got, as much dirt as they've got on Herschel Walker, isn't going to dump it for another week or so. And this doesn't change that dynamic. This just buttresses that dynamic. So if you're going to deny that this happened, and you damn well, you've got two huge problems with that. Because I think he's lying. I think we all think he's lying, right? I mean, the receipts are there. If she comes out publicly, that's going to be absolutely devastating. Devastating. Now, she probably doesn't want to because if they can make her as bad or worse a personal character, and they're going to destroy her, by the way. The Republicans will absolutely destroy her, and they have her name. So if her name comes out in the next 48 hours, very good likelihood it came out from the Republicans and Herschel Walker's campaign because if they can destroy her and make her the issue, then they can rally folks back to Herschel Walker. As horrible as that sounds, as horrible as that sounds, that is the way that this works. And if you don't believe me, ask Monica Lewinsky. 
The Clintons absolutely destroyed her. Hillary Clinton, too, by the way. Hillary led that effort. But Hillary and Bill knew that in this instance, when there's a sexual dalliance, when there's something inappropriate, and this was not you know, inappropriate, it's just extraordinarily hypocritical and a lie on something of foundational, is you have to destroy the messenger. If you can't get your message right, you must destroy the messenger because then that becomes the focus of the media. It becomes the focus of the public, and it allows you to rally your folks back and say, see, this happened, but it was because this person drew me into it. This bad person drew me into it. That's actually the literal language that Dana Loesch is using. Again, she's calling this woman a skank. They don't even know who she is. This skank who had an abortion. It, you know, it's, he, yeah, he paid for this skank to have an abortion. I don't care. What I do care for, she is saying, Dana Loesch says, is that Warnock wants to pay for thousands of skanks' abortions. That's the, that's the language coming out of the Republican message machine right now, okay? It's in, it's in panic mode, and it's trying to fortify its defenses, hold its base intact, and start continuing to find footing to start attacking, attacking, attacking again, because if they're explaining, they're losing. And that, again, takes me to this next point. What if there's another woman? Is that beyond is that beyond anybody's imagination here on this call right now? Of course not. I would argue it's probably more likely than not. And if you're doing your oppo work right, that's the way you drop it. Okay? That's absolutely devastating. At that point, it's like Roy Moore, where it's not just one girl. It's a series of girls. It's a habit. And that becomes really, really problematic for even the most ardent believers to stick with this guy. Now, there is a third variable which we have not talked about, and that is Christian Walker. What does he do? Does he go quiet? Does he apologize to his dad and say, I'm sorry, I was just angry, I'm still supporting my dad? Or does he continue to, 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 to rain down hellfire on this campaign? And that's the real other variable that whoever is running Herschel Walker's campaign has got to do. they got to get to this young man as quick as they possibly can with whoever is as close to him as they possibly can and do everything they can to stop the next post coming out on TikTok or Twitter or wherever it's going to show up. This is a really, really shitty place to be if you're running Herschel Walker's campaign because you were right there touching the brass ring. Your campaign is just beginning to peak as absentee ballots are about to come out and as public opinion is about to be settled. You've got this bomb blowing up and you've got to sit down with your candidate and advise him on which way to go. Do you continue to deny it? Because clearly this guy's lied to you already. Clearly Hirsch Walker has lied to you as his campaign professional and that's not a good place to be in. Okay, you know, and I've been in this spot. Anybody who's run campaigns has been in this spot. Your candidate's lies to you. You've got your own decisions you've got to make. And they're not good ones. The first one, and Trippy and I talked about this earlier uh, today, you've got to run and try to win the race despite your candidate. I've been in that spot a lot of times, but usually not over an explosion like this, although that has happened. You've got to try to win the race despite a candidate who lies to you, 
who's going to have more shit coming out that's going to embarrass you, bring down the whole party, possibly or probably, you know, lose the Senate and destroy himself in the process. And you know the guy's lying to you. And because he's lying to you, you can't develop an effective strategy. That's where they're at right now. There's some tough, there's some real tough talk happening with Herschel Walker sitting on a couch right now with three or four close advisors saying, what the hell else is going to come out? And you've, you've all heard him talk. You've all heard him go through his thought process. He's either consciously lying or simply doesn't remember or is not even aware of half of the shit that this guy's done that could possibly come out and continue this negative news cycle. That's where they're at. Okay? Now, the other option, as I mentioned, that's option one, by the way. That's, that's the good news. The bad news scenario is to go out and beg forgiveness. And this is a strategy that is rarely utilized, not because it doesn't work. In fact, it works extremely well. It just takes a damn good candidate who's either able to act with contrition or genuinely feel contrition. And the best candidate of all time that could do that was Bill Clinton. There was nobody better. Like Bill Clinton chose this strategy, right? He tried the other ones. Didn't happen. This is a lie. Then he went to, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. And then when he was finally cornered and finally caught with his pants down, he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And Hillary's forgiven me. And if Hillary can forgive me, you should be able to forgive me. Okay? This, by the way, is a tactic and a strategy that Donald Trump is not capable of because of his malignant narcissism. He's not capable of saying, I'm sorry. He kind of tried it a little bit post, um, post the Hollywood tape. Remember? The grabber by the pussy comment, and he, he went on air because his handlers grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and said, you have to go out there and apologize, read this statement. And it's, it's terribly done, by the way. You can tell the guy is not contrite at all. There's, there's no apology, genuine apology, because he's not capable of empathy. There's no, there's no soul in there. And I, like I said, they'll, they'll be dissecting and, 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 and doing autopsies on Donald Trump for many, many years into the future. The question is going to be, does he have the capacity to, 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 to find, uh, to, to be sorry, to be empathetic? Was he born without that gene or was he just, you know, so abandoned and, and unloved as a child that that's how he formed? That, I mean, that'll, that'll be a real question, I think, that people, biographers in the future will look at. But for the moment, Herschel Walker finds himself in the same place. And I, I, I don't know what the answer is. There's a lot of theories. There's been books written on him, disassociative personality disorders that he may have, his own trauma that he's trying to escape from from his own life, whether it's, you know, damage from concussions or whether he's just a narcissist or a combination of all of that. He may just not be self-aware enough to know that what he was doing to people was wrong or bad and thinks that he can just talk going forward and no one's going to look and find this stuff. But let's say for a moment he is able to muster that and he does go on TV, like I said, and gives a sorry apology in front of a congregation of churchgoers and begs and asks for forgiveness. There's also a very good, very good likelihood that that, that works, that plays. 
We love that shit. Americans love to tear people down. Love it. Love it. And then we love to see people begging for forgiveness, laying themselves out face down on the floor before us and, and, and apologizing. And we love to forgive them. We do. We just love to forgive these folks and give them another opportunity. So let's say that, let's say that is the strategy. Let's say, let's say they employ that strategy. Well, they still have a timing problem. Because it, uh, while I think that is a better strategy than, than, than lying, because I, I think he is lying, I think there is more coming. And I think the more that he denies it, the more he will hemorrhage voters over 30 days. It's just I don't think that he can withstand maintaining the entirety of his base for that long. I think he's going to have to come out and make, am- and make, a, uh, make amends and apologize and say I did wrong, except, again, same problem. Most of the oppo dump hasn't hit yet. And so if you go out and you apologize and then more comes out afterwards, it's, it's, it's not equally as difficult to recover from the lying posture, but damn, it's tough. And so you're in a really difficult position. But the reason why we have not heard from Walker to this point right now is because they're coming up with this. That's the question they're asking, both as a campaign team and with the candidate hold up somewhere in his house trying to figure out what are we going to do? What's the next step? Are we going to double down on the lie? Will the Republican talking heads continue to fight for us? And Trump weighed in with support. Dana Loesch from the NRA weighed in with support. Eric Erickson has flip-flopped three times, and it hasn't even been 24 hours yet, or it's been about 24 hours, rallying back around and saying the Senate is too damn important. Dollar to a donut, that's where they're going to come back to. Is there's going to be a, a, a they're going to wait till the dust settles from the explosion, 48, 72 hours, and then what they're going to say is, doesn't matter, all we care about is control of the Senate. My gut instinct is, even in Georgia, with a weakened base, it's probably not going to get him to where he needs to go. But I will say this. If you think that this was the knockout punch, I think you're wrong. I think it was a one hell of a stem winder, one hell of a haymaker right in the jaw. Got him knocked down. They're probably doing a standing eight right now. But even if he drops five, six points, seven points, maybe even more, or he rallies and he's two, three, four points up, both of those are, are very likely scenarios. There's going to be movement in this race. What matters is the next 30 days, okay? Because there is time to recover. There absolutely is. They're going to have to find the right boogeyman. It could be the woman making the allegations. It could be the media and the Democrats coming after them. It could be, it will be somebody, something. They are going to find somebody and something and someone else to blame, 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 and get all of their base that they've preconditioned to focus on the enemy, the true enemies of the state, which are the Democrats trying to take over and turn our country into a communist country. That's what's going to happen. That will absolutely happen. That is going to be the strategy. The question is going to be which direction are they going to pursue to have the highest likelihood of success. So with that, 
Let's jump in with some questions if we could. Thank you. There's North in the queue. Oh, we lost him. Somebody was about to ask a question. My voice is uh, is uh, starting to fade a little bit. Andrew, uh, our overseas buddy, I think from down under, right? Andrew, Australian? You're up in the queue. Go ahead and unmute. Brother from down under. How are you, mate? How are you? Good to hear from you. You watching this over there? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a comedy channel, pretty much. Um, so I have some real questions. So um, two questions. Number one, how many undecided voters really are left in Georgia? And number two, how can Abrams tie Walker to Kemp? Ah, great questions. So depending on which poll you read, um, there still remains about a 7 to 10% undecided, which is a hell of a lot in this kind of an environment. But the thing about that, though, is it doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, – um, going to all move towards Warnock. Uh, I think that's a good bet. I would make that bet if I had to, barring any other information. But most undecideds we can really look at with, with pretty good precision on based off of other demographics and decide where they're going to go. So, for example, and I have not looked at this, um, but if you look at those 10% undecided, are they, for example, men over 60 that are in the north part, uh, rural part of the state? And they don't like, they don't like Herschel Walker for whatever reasons. They don't like him. He's not conservative enough, or whatever. He's not Republican enough, or they didn't like him. Because, whatever. The chances, the chances of that voter going in and voting for Walker, despite this, are pretty high. That's different than if it's an undecided African American voter who's a 25 year old female that lives in in the Atlanta corridor. Uh, she may be undecided because she may be uncomfortable with some of the positions that Warnock doesn't, you know, is, takes, and he he's not progressive enough. And in that case, he's she's likely to come and, and support a party line ticket anyway. They're just going to do so unenthusiastically. So knowing the undecided, it, 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 it's an important indicator, but it probably doesn't mean like if there's ten percent undecided that they'll all shift away from Walker. So we can't be looking at it that way. Um, I, I think what's most important here in the next round of polling is to look at how strong or weak Walker is with that Republican base that he had just. Gotten to the point of assembling slip away and lose there. He's done. He's probably done. I um, mean, yep. He's got some time to recalibrate and reconstruct it, and which could, that's the answer on the other side is. But let me say this: this could actually also have the unintended consequence of helping Kemp, and because what 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 it means is if Republicans are like, well, shit, I ain't voting for this guy. I like I didn't like him anyway, but I'm not voting straight Democratic ticket. There's no way. So as a check. I'm going to vote for the other Republican at the top of the ticket. That's the very likely scenario, is if pollsters are testing both of these, you could see a four or five point hemorrhage on Walker and a two, three point uptick on Kemp. For Abrams, this becomes really, really, really difficult. What I would be doing if I were her, and this is very unconventional, but her fundamentals are not good. And I've been talking about this since I started this podcast, right? You guys have all heard me say, Stacey Abrams is in trouble. And I was saying this back in early midsummer. 
And I've been right. Her fundamentals are not good. She's not closing the gap. One thing she could do, and it may not be go over well with Warnock, is she could just lean into this fight. It just She could take the mantle and attack, attack, attack Walker and leave Warnock's hands to be clean on this. Now, Warnock, by the way, if I'm Warnock's campaign manager, I want nothing to do with any of this shit. And he's, he's done a good job of saying, I'll leave, I'm going to leave that to the pundits and to the professional speculators. I'm focused on my campaign and having, you know, uh, dinner with the local Rotary Club in, in DeKalb County. Like, that's, that's what he should be doing is stay out of the papers. Don't never interfere with the enemy while he's in the process of destroying himself. The Walker campaign has some really bad decisions to make. There are no good decisions over the course of the next 72 hours. Do not step into that mess and take away the oxygen that is fanning the flames of this fiasco. Don't do it. Abrams has a different decision because she's in trouble. She's going to lose. Unless she changes the trajectory of her race, she's going to lose. And if I'm Abrams' campaign consultant, it may piss Warnock off. But if my job is to win, I'm going to say, Stacey, let's go lean into this. Let us go take this on. Shoot she, may get a lo- she may get a lot of blowback for doing that, but she's going to lose otherwise. She's not going to win this race unless she changes the fundamental trajectory of the race. This is probably the biggest dynamic that's going to give her the opportunity to be relevant. And if she can, as a woman, stand in there and be the messenger and just literally rip the bark off of this guy. Should um. This is a bit of a left field idea, but could she do something like Trump did with uh, after he got uh, the, um, the the Hollywood expose, where you know she sits in front of the camera with uh, some of the women that uh, Walker's um, yeah, had, uh, I mean yeah, and, and just yeah. and just lean in and just just make it all about that and try and take the oxygen away from from Kemp. Well, the thing the thing is here is this works well. The, this situation works well for Kemp because it, it it leaves no room. Like you said, there's no oxygen in the room for Stacey Abrams. She's mm. got nothing. She's got nothing. Yeah. 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 And that benefit, that benefits Warnock, right? Because you know, his candidate is drowning. Uh, throw him an anchor, right? Like get, get out of yeah. his way, get out of his way and let him sink. Kemp, Kemp benefits too, because all it's going to do is either solidify the fundamentals of the race, which are not good for Abrams. Or like I said, He'll benefit from the splitting ticket. He'll he'll benefit. Republicans will be like, I'm out of here on Walker, but I'm for sure going to now vote for Kemp because we can't have two Democrats. There will be three Democrats, right, in the top three positions in Georgia. So, and like I'm saying, and I'm not I'm not necessarily advising that Stacey Abrams do this because I, Warnock's people will will blow their stack if she did that. Because she's pulling him back into contention and and screwing up his race, which he's gonna, you know in much better position. If Abrams leans into this, by all, make make no mistake, Warnock's gonna be pissed and should be, because you're 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 taking the attention away from your enemy, who is literally his head is just barely above water and about to slip underneath. That's where you want to be if you're Warnock. If Abrams jumps in there and is like, hey, hey, wait a second. I need I need some help here. <laughs> Warnock's yeah, gonna be pissed. Yeah. Warnock's gonna be pissed. And, and and again, those are tough decisions you've got to make in a campaign. But I've had to make them 
There have been plenty of times where I've had to screw somebody else in my own party to save my own candidate. That's my job is to win the race for my candidate. And that's just the unfortunate reality. So let's watch all four of these folks. Let's watch Mm -hmm. what Abrams does. But Abrams is in deep shit right now, not just because the fundamentals are bad, but because there's nobody who wants to hear anything Stacey Abrams has to say right now. Nobody gives a damn. Like, nobody cares. So she's got to lean into the media storm if she wants to get covered. If she wants a chance at winning, she's going to have to lean into this. Like I said, if she does that, Warnock's people are going to be really, really fucking pissed. It should be, uh, should be interesting to watch. Uh, it's going to be fun uh, to watch. Never, she, never, she never. Clear or not. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, never dull moment. But, but, but you're right. She's got no narrative and, yeah, she just doesn't exist really so in that space no there's nothing there there's nothing there so she's they've got a decision to make and it's not going to be an easy one if i'm warnock's campaign i'm calling if look i'll tell you what if i'm warnock's campaign manager i'm I'm calling her and i'm calling the chairman of the party and i'm calling schumer and i'm saying you better make damn sure stacy abrams doesn't do anything in this race and fuck this up for us so yeah what's more important right control the senate or control the governorship right and those are the tough those are the tough discussions that are going to have to be made that's exactly right thanks great thank you sir appreciate it cheers austin we're going to bring you up on stage go ahead and unmute and ask that question Hello, Mike. Hey, how are you? I'm uh, doing good today. How about yourself? I'm doing well. It's been, you know, it's that time of the cycle where it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. The amount of news yesterday was a bit overwhelming, right? It's like Elon Musk is buying Twitter. Putin's moving nukes to the border. You know, Herschel Walker's blowing himself up. Yeah, the polling in Nevada looks really bad for the democrats it's like i don't know what the top story is but that's part of why we do these these campaigns is we kind of become adrenaline junkies and there's nothing better than it than october before a, a november election but so what's on your mind um so i looked at um the polls uh for the senate and the governor's race in georgia and uh here's my analysis uh-huh it seems consistently that the Democrat base and the Republican base in these polls uh, seem to have a fairly equal amount of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing on a racial basis between white and black voters. There doesn't seem to be a, a, a enthusi- an enthusiasm gap of much. And looking at the cross tabs, it's generally the rule in Georgia for a Democrat to win, and you get, um, over th- get about 30% of the white vote. Um, as long as they're getting the African-American turnout, um, where they're getting at least you know, about a 90% uh, vote share. And what I'm seeing with Warnock is he's consistently hitting in the low 30s with white voters, and he's getting usually above 90% amongst African-Americans. Now, with Stacey Abrams, you know, she's consistently in the 20s amongst, um, the, with, among white voters, and uh, Kemp is usually getting more than 10% of the African-American vote, and that seems to be the difference t- for why Stacey is losing and why Warnock seems to be ahead. And this is just the numbers before the uh, scandal um, you know, with um, uh, Walker that came out yesterday. Uh, so I guess that's the baseline that um, 
that I'm seeing before the news event. Um, what's your take on this race? I think Warnock's in a fairly good position to win this race, even before the scandal. Uh, but what's your take? Um, yeah, well, I, well I, I, do, I think I gave you my take over the last 30 minutes, kind of my assessment. I, I think I, I thought Warnock, uh, I have believed that Georgia is a bluer state than most people realize. I think Stacey Abrams is a particularly weak candidate who did herself extraordinary damage by saying that the election was stolen and it was fraudulent. I thought that was a huge, huge mistake. And I think that the, the kind of lionization of Stacey Abrams by the Democratic Party over the past few years has been a big mistake. Um, and, and then it's showing out. It's showing out. She's just not consolidating the votes like you're saying. Uh, but that's a very crude, you know, th there's a lot of Latino votes, by the way, in Atlanta now, too. And there's a sizable API community. So the, the recipe that you're talking about is, is not it's not that clean. Incidentally, um, Atlanta has the most multi-ethnic, multiracial middle class of any state in the country. So there's a lot of class indicators that are, are actually far more important than than even race indicators. Uh, and when you start to look at the geography and the class uh, um, zip codes matter more than just a typical black-white paradigm the way you would in, a, in Alabama, for example, or Mississippi, or even, even, heaven forbid, North Carolina, which drives me freaking nuts. But having said that, look, I, 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 Abrams, Abrams did herself a lot of damage. This is she. Th if they had a different candidate, a better candidate, I would suggest. I think that they would be in a much better position in the gubernatorial race. I think Warnock is a particularly good candidate. I was very worried about him in 2020. Uh, I thought that uh, the negatives on him would go much, much higher. They have not. I don't know that unless there's, unless there's any new information, most of those negatives are built in. And so I think, you know, up until two or three days ago, I was very bullish on Georgia. Uh, Walker never should have been moving this race into contention. That's the one thing that I would suggest the Democrats needed to put him away earlier. They did not do a good job of that. It seems like the Daily Beast may have really, really stepped in and helped them there. But Warnock needs to, he needs to close, he needs to seal the deal here. He needs to really move offensively, tactically, not getting on the message, not getting on the airwaves. He needs to start moving into the suburbs of Atlanta, the DeKalb County, the Gwinnett counties, and just working the shit out of those, you know, chicken dinners, uh, the chambers of commerce meetings, the, the, the you know, the, all of those dinners as we say, the, the rubber chicken circuit on, in politics, he's got he's to start moving in offensively into indecideds, into white voters, even presumably into Republican, um, you know, not 72 hours, but I'd say in the next week and a half, the, the possibility of a Walker resuscitation is there if there's nothing else coming. Now, as I said, I think there's more coming. So I, I think Warnock is probably in a better position, but it never should have been this close. Never should have been this close for either Warnock or Abrams. This, it, Georgia is a much more is a much bluer state than people think. It's just been trending hard in that direction for six cycles. So I hope that helps. Hope that answers your question. Yes, um, I think that's um, a good analysis. I think you know with Warnock at least um, he needs to get his base out because if he gets his people out to the polls, he should win. And um, in terms of the Latino vote. Um, 
I'm not sure what the percentage of that makeup in the state is. I think, yeah, it's in the single digits. So I haven't really looked very closely at it simply because the sample sizes are usually very small. But is there polling data out there that shows maybe like a larger sample size of, you know, Georgia Latinos? No, it's small and you don't need it. You Even polling it wouldn't help. What you can tell is because it's so new, it's going to be a largely Democratic demographic, probably 75-25. We targeted, I think, 40-50,000 Latinos to turn out in the 2020 cycle. Not bad in a state that, you know, Biden won by 13,000. Those are the margins that people aren't looking. Like, Georgia is that close. So if you're looking at it just in terms of black turnout and white turnout, I think you're missing a lot because the variable of turnout in Georgia without Trump on the ballot, which he's not, is actually remarkably consistent. It's predictable. That range is predictable. You're going to have a very close race under normal circumstances. If you can find an extra 30, 40, 50,000 votes, which Latinos are, and get a 75, 25 break in your direction, that's where you ought to be pouring money right now. That's who you should be driving vote out because the rest of those voters, they're going to show up, you know, regardless at this point with the amount of money that's being spent there. Um, a quick question with Walker is, what's the potential there for to be an undervote where people just leave, Republicans leave, uh, or right-leaning independents leave the um, the Senate um, ballot blank uh, because of these revelations? Uh, I think it's considerable. Uh, that's That's what you're pushing for. A lot of these Republicans are not going to be able to stomach voting for a Democrat under any circumstance, but they may leave it blank. And if you get 1% to do that, that's a lot. So, yeah, that'll be a big part of it. Austin, thank you for the question, brother. You always ask good stuff. I love how close you watch the polling. Makes me hopeful for the folks that are out there. Kevin, you're up on on deck. You got a question for us? Go ahead and unmute. Hi, Mike. Hey. Yeah, I was was just going to ask if Walker decides to attack the messenger go after this woman um how do you think that would play out given that this was a story about abortion in the post-op environment when the focus is on women uh, it plays really well with republican women at least initially i, I mean I, I think that the, the conception that that you know democratic women and, I, and I've, I've learned this uh more recently in the past couple of years as i've worked with this constituency a lot more Democratic women and Republican women are very, very, very different. And, and the question that you're asking is, like, would an attack on, on, on women be viewed or perceived? Um, you know, how would that be perceived? And what I, what I would tell you is it would be perceived very differently between Democratic women and Republican women. Um, of course, I'm generalizing, but I'm in the generalization business. That's what I do for a living. That's what, that's what campaigns are. Um, you know, Dobbs... And let's not equate Dobbs with, you know, kind of with misogyny. I don't think that that's, uh, that, again, that, that's, a, that's not a construct of the way college-educated Republican women view the, that issue. It's a rights issue, but it has nothing to do with, with a being a, a bad male character, a bad individual. And that's what, look, that's why I was saying is th- this is not, this was not going to be much of an issue, guys, until Christian Walker jumped in. And, and Christian Walker hasn't even said anything about the abortion. He's talking about his dad being an absentee father 
and not being a good person of character and being a liar. That's the damage. You have to look at that's where the damage is. So, you know, look, Democrats behave very, very partisan in the same way Republicans do. If, if, I, if Mike Madrid is wrong or my Republican colors are showing, explain Monica Lewinsky to me. The National Organization of Women was backing Bill Clinton while Hillary and Bill were destroying this young intern that he that he abused. Like w- women rallied to him. Democratic women were, were all about it for the bigger cause and destroyed her, too. So you have to remember it's 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 there's a very partisan environment that we're looking at this. So I'm answering your question the best I can by saying it really depends on the partisan nature of of women to believe that there's this women voting block by and large it's not true this gender gap that the democrats have always talked about is largely a function of women under 30 that are single compared to their male counterparts married women the republicans have won the married female vote in this country almost every time there's a couple of exceptions i think in the last 30 years but if you look at the married women vote, married women more often vote for Republicans. Certainly married white women. I mean, Donald Trump actually improved his numbers in 2020 with, with white women, okay? So, you know, even after learning all these things about him, you just have to remember that that partisanship tells us a lot about the perception of, of the way you know, women will react to, to, to male behavior, to a whole issue set. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't issues in common, by the way, right? And that shouldn't that shouldn't freak us out. It's like, well, yeah, there's a lot of pro-choice Republican women, and they're reacting to the abortion issue. Yeah, that's true. You know what else? There's a lot of pro-border Hispanics who who react viscerally against open border policies of the Democrats. That doesn't mean that there aren't messages to go in there and message around those, right? It's the same dynamic, and so that's the way you you kind of got to look at it. So. Um, I, I, again, I'm not trying to be dismissive of the question. I'm just trying to recast it in a way that might provide better understanding. The absolute best thing to do, and I'm not saying the best thing. When I say best thing, let me qualify this. The best thing politically to do, it's one of the worst things to do morally, is to attack this woman, is to undermine the messenger. That is one of the, one of the truisms in political campaigns is if you can't win on the message, you better damage the messenger. Because that's the only way you're going to have any set, any any semblance or chance of relevance. That is what the Clintons did to Monica Lewinsky. That's what they're going to try to do to this this woman, which is why she smartly chose to re- be anonymous at this point. And like I said, if she does become public, it's under one of two instances. Either she's going to lean into this in the next 48 hours, or if he lies about it. If he here's here's the other variable. I didn't talk about this enough, so I appreciate can you bringing this up. But if 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 he lies about it and she's really pissed, if he doubles down and says this did not happen, and then she comes out and holds a press conference, I mean, damn, the whole eyes of the nation are going to be watching this thing. But within 48 hours, the Republican meat grinder is going to come after her, and everything that she has ever done since she was in middle school is going to become front page news in the right wing media ecosystem to just literally ruin her life. That's, that's what's going to happen. Um, so I hope that was helpful. I hope the answer was helpful, but if, will there be backlash? Uh, no, not, not with the constituencies that he needs.
Okay. Thanks. Yeah, I had a, a follow-up yeah, yeah, yeah. or another question. Yeah. Um, because early when you first began tonight's show, uh, we were talking about um, what would happen in the next forty-eight hours and following, following where the campaigns are spending their mm-hmm. money. Um, where I, where do you follow that? Well, I mean, <laughs> I just I don't know uh, I don't know where to go look for that. You should you should be following the California um, Target bot um, is the best place to do it. Rob Pyers at Rob Pyers R O B P Y E R S. Rob Pyers has automated all of this, so. We're moving into. Uh, okay. He will track all the spend. Follow that account, and you can see where the movie money is moving at the latest. The best way we're going to find out is the Republican accounts that they're going to. They're, they're pulling their money. What will happen is people in the media who are buy. In other words. The way it works in the media is, let's just say hypothetically, the Republicans have $10 million in ad time in Georgia reserved. That means uh, as the ads come up, it's a commodity, so you have to pay for it in advance, right? No, no one runs your commercials and then bills you later because they'll never get paid, right? The money's already spent, so they could get screwed. You have to pay for your commercials in advance. And the way you do that is you reserve time. You say, I'm a, I want all of these blocks. This is what I want. And then you can reserve it, and then as it gets closed, you have what's called the cash call. you got to put that money up and pay for it uh, a week or, or a few days before the actual buy goes up. If you don't make that cash call, they release your time. That, that inventory, as we call it, becomes available again. That's what we're looking for. What that means is the Republicans will be like, shit, our polling came back. Herschel's down seven. He's done, Right. Uh, we're done. Blake Masters is done in Arizona, and we are we are Laxalt is in the hunt. He's moving ahead in Nevada. Let's take our ten million dollars. Let let Herschel Walker go, and we'll go roll the dice in Nevada as a better bet. Like that's what's happening right now. So you're going to start seeing buys coming down. The movement of money. Nobody announces it. But we, we've figured out technological ways to track it. So, Rob Pyers, you'll be able to see if somebody, if, if the Republicans are, are spending more in Nevada, for example. The Republicans just announced a $2 million radio buy in Spanish language in Nevada. That's a holy shit moment. That's a lot of, lot of Spanish radio in Nevada. That's like literally buying all the inventory. That's not a flash buy. That means they are literally tr- they they believe that Nevada is in play and that the Hispanic vote is in play and they're putting their money where their mouth is. Sorry to get off topic there, Kevin. But if you follow Rob Pyers, long way of saying, follow Rob Pyers, and what you're looking for is shifts in spend and where money's actually moving. And if you follow him, you'll also start to see other related accounts where you will see media buyers saying. These guys have gone down in Pennsylvania. These guys have gone up in Wisconsin. And that's going to tell you everything about the dynamic and the trajectory of the race. Because what's happening now, by the way, one last thing, and then we'll get to Melissa's question, is every campaign is now tracking. And what tracking means is they're polling every day. And let me explain. I, I, probably, ought to, I probably ought to do a session on this, but, but we're getting very close Within the last 30 days, and you're spending millions of dollars, the NRSC, the DCCC, the Walker campaign, the Cortez Masto campaign, the Mark Kelly campaign, Fetterman's campaign, they're all doing what we call tracking. 
And the way tracking works is you do one day, you do 300 voters, you poll. And then the next day, you do another 300. And then the next day, you do another 300. And the next day, you do another 300. And you poll every day in the last 30 days until election day. And what that does is every day you get new, fresh data that shows a rolling movement of public opinion. And it tells you what the effect of your ads are. It tells you what the effect of your opposition's ads are, and it tells you the effect of external developments like what you just saw with Herschel Walker. So all of these campaigns are seeing public opinion, and their campaigns are tracking in real time. They're seeing it literally every day. Every, every guy running, every man or woman running a campaign is waking up first thing in the morning. You're getting your 7 a.m. tabs, and it's showing you the shift of what happened from all of the ads you're spending, all the news coverage, and all the opposition ads spend every day. And you have to start making adjustments on a day-by-day basis about where you're going to allocate your money. So this time right now, October is like the Super Bowl of what we do because to me, I can literally see with the developments of which campaigns are moving money where and which ad buys are going up and which ad buys are going down. I can tell what demographics are moving towards Republicans, where they're seeing the traction with suburban voters, what's happening with Hispanic voters, simply by watching the movements that each of the campaigns are making. That's what I'm trying to share with you guys on are being made off of rolling data or what all of these everyday now to see if their ads need to be adjusted ad and response and they'll throw that new ad into their rotation as they call it to see if they can recover and move them back into position it's all a big rolling chess game from here on out it's just literally everybody's opening fire on each other they're using their best data their best assessments to make determinations uh, uh to affect the outcomes and make that make sure that their candidate is surging at the right moment and 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 i'm, I'm hoping that offers some insight into um, what your original question was, which is I don't even remember what it was right now. But the, the tracking is going to tell you all that. Rob Pyers is the best place to find where the money is actually moving. Um, but you know, follow my Twitter feed too, and as I see this stuff, I'll start kicking it out because I'll start telling you more and more um, what media buys are going up, where, and what that means for other demographics in the country. Okay, thanks. Yeah. I all right, that. Kevin, thanks so much. Great question. Appreciate you. Uh, following and joining us. Melissa, how are you? Fine. Um, it's my birthday and I'm having my Happy martini. birthday, martinis. The best martinis. Happy birthday. Yes. Okay, here's my two questions right. and then you can just go off. My first one is, there is this group which I read, you know, in the New York Times and then I read in Daily Beast and then I read, you know, in the LA Times a large group of people across the nation are that are new mm-hmm. registrants. They just registered now. Huh? They're not a part of polling. No. And apparently in some areas, it's an incredibly large group. And it's almost like, are they going to save me? Who are these people? And, and how does a pollster, you know, they can do what they do, but, you know, they're, these are Gen X, Gen Z people. 
Um, uh, most of them are female. Yeah. Um, at least across the nation. And the other question is, um, what do you think about Ohio? Now go ahead. Okay. So, so to the first, um, you're probably following Catalyst's data. A guy named Tom Bonier. Uh, if you guys are not, if you're not following Tom, you should, because he has been saying this a lot. He, he works. For, uh, his company. He owns a company called Catalyst. Catalyst is one of the best data firms, political data firms, in America. I, I believe in them strongly. They have partnered, I think, with the New York Times. This is probably what you're talking about to do some of their polling yes. and to do some of their analysis. Now, Tom, uh, uh, Tom has been saying for some time that there is an undercount of what is happening with new female registrants. Uh, he's at T-B-O-N-I-E-R on Twitter. Follow him, um, uh, and, and, you'll, and you'll, you'll learn a little bit more about this, this conversation. Um, but what Tom has been arguing is that there is a dramatic surge in female registrations that is unprecedented. And it's true. It is absolutely true. Um, and I think what he would also argue is they are not accurately reflected in the polls because if it's unprecedented, how do you model it? How do you make that guess at it? And I've talked about this on previous episodes. It's the same dilemma that, that I would say. And what Tom is arguing is he believes that there's a, an undercounted, underrecognized democratic surge that is happening. My answer is maybe. I mean, there's a lot of ev evidence to suggest that he is correct. Um, he, may, he may be absolutely right. He also may not be taking into account the, um, the, the polling trend which has been happening that is discernible where these races, a lot of these races are closing. Okay? And by closing, I mean Pennsylvania is in a very tight range now. It should not be. Georgia, up until this fiasco with Herschel Walker, was closing up into a tighter range than it should be. At this moment in time, if the election were held tomorrow, Laxalt, the Republican, would beat Cortez Masto in Nevada. I'm certain of it. Okay? Uh, Ron Johnson yeah. has closed the gap considerably with Mandela Barnes. Like, the Republican base is coming home. And it's undeniable. Now... Uh, will that be offset by enough of this female surge? Because it's largely female and it's largely young. The answer is, I don't know. There's there's evidence to suggest that it will. Every campaign that has been held since Dobbs has showed a Democrat overperformance. That that is true. But you also were not seeing Republicans messaging crime, law and order, and illegal immigration the way that they have been, which has showed tremendous uh, uh, blunting effect for candidates like Beto O'Rourke in Texas. It's just it stopped them cold in its tracks. The law and order message in Wisconsin is killing Mandela Barnes. It's also closing the gap on Fetterman with Oz. They're using it very, very effectively. And who is it working with? It's working with college educated suburban women. So here's the question. Here's the question. Are there enough of these new registrants? Uh, the math says there probably are. The question is, do they show up? The recent history says, yes, they do. The third question, which is where the Republicans uh, recognizing these first two started introducing law, order, and illegal immigration messaging, have successfully blunted that, growth, that, that hemorrhaging in the polling. 
So what I'm saying is, even if Democrats get high turnout with young women voters, they may not be getting the crossover that they were getting with college-educated, high-propensity Republican female voters anymore. I, I don't. I, no, nobody uh. knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But there's there's good evidence in both directions. What Tom Bonier is saying, and, and he makes a very persuasive case, is all of the hard data, the actual results, show Democrats overperforming. The polls are hypothetical. The real data is showing this movement, and he's he's right. Now, am I convinced that that's the way the, the campaign's going to turn out? No, I, I'm not yet. I still I still believe that Democrats are probably in a better position to hold the Senate and will will lose the House by a marginal amount uh, uh, and split the governor's races, which is a huge win for Democrats, by the way. It ain't going to feel like it, but that is an enormous win for Democrats. But I, I still remain committed, at least today, that's still my, that's still my prediction. That's still what I believe, that that's how it's going to turn out. I hope that's helpful. If not, you've got to pour yourself another martini. And happy, happy birthday. Thanks what? for spending your happy birthday with us. Oh, yeah. But do you have a feeling about oh, Ohio? Um, I, I just, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll start looking well, at Ohio again. Um, like I said, you've got a particularly good candidate in Ryan. You've got a particularly bad candidate in Vance. I don't know if that's enough to overcome the fundamentals in a state that is moving decidedly Republican. There's still a wide swath of undecideds, and in that instance, that tells me they're going to rely on a traditional voting pattern, which means they're probably going to go more Republican. The good news is, and I know this probably doesn't feel good, especially if you're from Ohio, but I don't think that the Democrats need that race to get to a plus one majority position, okay? Um, if Warnock and, and Fetterman, if Fetterman can, if that campaign can, can, can get back on track, by the way, and I'll talk about this tomorrow, but Fetterman, Fetterman, uh-huh. the health problem is real. This problem with a stroke, people, they're concerned about it. It's having an impact. Oz is closing the gap in a way that cannot be comfortable for Fetterman. It's just too close. It shouldn't be this close. Except for one thing. That whole thing with Oz and the killing of dogs and puppies and rabbits. I'm telling you, there are people I know that that is the biggest turnoff. Republican people. That turns them off. He's... You know what? That's why they have to poll every day. They just don't yeah. know. It's yeah. so fluid. How will it turn Yeah, out? we will see. Like I said, the, the great irony of this, and I think this says something about our society, I think that Oz is going to be hurt more by that than Herschel Walker will be on the abortion issue in Georgia. But we'll just have to wait and see. The good thing is we will know in the next 48, 72 hours. Melissa, thanks. Well, yeah, thanks we'll talk so more much. about Ohio and Pennsylvania on tomorrow's episode of Mike Chop. So join us then. Bring your martinis, and we'll celebrate well, your birthday again tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Take care. You bet. Victor, you're up in the queue. Just go ahead and unmute and ask away. Kate, Katie, we'll get to you in a second. Victor, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, listen to you uh, make me feel all the better. Good. I'm glad it could be helpful. What's on your mind? Uh, uh, well, first on my mind, uh, I have uh, looking at this Walker situation. Um, 
and how close the race is. Uh, how much does the candidate quality matter? C candidate quality matters. I mean, we're finding out why. I mean, it doesn't in all instances, no. But, you know, Republicans, we keep saying this, but I really want to drive this point home. I mean, who, remember the witch that ran in Delaware? Right? She, she was a witch. Like, the, the, uh, this was like six years ago. Candidate quality in the Trump era is becoming a real factor because sane people are leaving the Republican Party. And uh, it just doesn't feel like it, right? It doesn't feel like what? Like, like it matters. Oh, candidate quality, for sure it matters. Yeah, I mean, look, the Republic, this is why Mitch McConnell was so pissed. If you had a decent Republican candidate or a strong Republican candidate running against Warnock, this race would be a lot different. Walker hasn't been able to put, put, the, put the base together, like I said. There's a very real scenario where Kemp and a, a strong Republican are both, you know, five, six, seven points ahead of their Democratic challengers. If you had a stronger candidate in Ohio, you, you would have, instead of J.D. Vance, if you had a, 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 a reasonable Kasich-type Republican in Ohio or DeWine, right, who's up 18 points, this race would have been put away. If you had, if you had a better candidate than Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, you know, of course it matters. It matters a lot. That's what McConnell's pissed about. It's like Trump came in and endorsed all these whack jobs. And he, he McConnell said it himself, candidate, you know, candidate quality matters. Like it's going to cost us the majority. It's going to cost us the Senate majority because Donald Trump picked a bunch of wackadoodles that are more interested in being reliant to him than worried about the future of the Republican Party. And, and this is what, what you end up with. So, yeah, it matters a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and let me say this. Ninety five percent of voters will vote for their own guy regardless Right. That's what we're saying with Walker. Like, how can people vote for this guy? Right. Well, Republicans are like, I'll vote for anybody, literally anybody over a Democrat. I don't I don't care what they've done. I don't care what they've done. And Democrats, by the way, are largely the same way. Not as much, but overwhelmingly so. Let's just be honest about that. OK, a lot of a lot of y'all are, are Democrats on the phone and I love you. You guys would vote for extraordinarily damaged candidates rather than give the Senate Republicans a majority. Of course you would. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't be surprised when the Republicans do it, too, okay, because we're in that partisan environment. That's 95% of both parties. That leaves 10% remaining that are truly undecided. And in that instance, for those 10%, candidate quality absolutely matters. We've got to remember, campaigns are won on the margins. You don't win by 30 or 40 points. You win by three or four points. And candidate quality matters for those very small sliver of voters that are truly undecided. They, they, it makes a very big deal. Okay? Right. Okay. Uh, on, on to uh, my next yeah. question is that um, I've been looking at early voting data for some states like, for example, mm -hmm. Georgia. Uh, and I'm seeing some Bring pretty interesting things, such as, for example, in Georgia, like 60% of all applicants are women. Mm -hmm. This, I think, goes back to what Melissa was saying right. about presidents. Mm -hmm. um, and I want your opinion on what can an early voting data tell us about the election? Well, it used to tell us a lot before Trump, but what happened is Trump partisanized it in the other direction. There's really not much that early voting tells us. 
really it really doesn't and that's the that's one of the frustrations is what you will see is especially in the last three election cycles everybody analyzing early data was wrong right they, they were saying the that's what got hillary wrong on the latino vote in 2016 was analyzing early data it was way 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 off wrong in 2016, we also the early voting data was under under representing Trump's white rural voter support. It was wrong. In 2018, it was probably more accurate, but we didn't know. Um, you know, we were we we'd never seen that high of a turnout in a midterm election, so we were speculating on 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 and we got it wrong early in the night. Right. The question in 2018, for those of you that remember and were paying this close of attention, was how big the blue wave was going to be. Right. And the early vote showed it's probably not going to be that big. Well, by the time the votes were all counted, it was pretty enormous. And it took us 72 hours to to figure out how big it was. That's when Trump started saying, why we got to stop counting these mail in votes. There's fraud there. And then he starts telling his voters after the midterms in 2018, don't vote by mail. It's fraudulent. Right. Because he wants to start casting doubt on it. And then what happens with the polling in 2020? Well, if you look at states like Wisconsin and some of those early voting numbers or North Carolina, they, they were they they were not giving us a good read. So don't try to analyze early voting. It's not telling us that much anymore. It's certainly not telling us what the partisan break is. For sure, it's not telling us that. It's also not a good indicator of what voter enthusiasm looks like. So just I just wouldn't do it. People who are voting absentee more and more aren't necessarily a representative sample don't don't drive yourself crazy by by looking at that as a metric and, and thinking that if you can discern that it's going to tell you something about what's likely to happen uh, when the when all the ballots are counted because it, it's not it's not a good indicator. Right. Um, one last mm -hmm. question that that I have is: um, Are you planning on having guests on on mic drop? Like you were talking about Joe Trippy earlier. I was wondering you could have him or your. Your friend Chuck. Russell. Yeah, I'll ask Chuck if we can do one of uh, have Chuck on, and Joe might be willing to do it too. Uh, if you guys, it would be, be interesting discussion. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I started mic drop by having guests on, and the feedback I was getting, I, I think, and the response was more, "Look, we just want really detailed, nerdy analysis." I'm happy to do either. I just want your feedback. So what I'm hearing you say is get more guests on. I'm happy to do that. I got a lot of people on the Dem side or even Republican consultants that would be willing to do it. I just want the show to be useful for you guys. If you would find value in that, let's do it. If you don't, if you want me to continue with this format, I'm happy to do that too. Um, send me your feedback um, and let me know. You can put it here in the chat uh, and um, here or afterwards. Um, and, and I'll make those adjustments. I want it to be a, a resource for you guys. Um, and if you find that useful, then let's do that. We can do special episodes with special guests if you want. Um, and we'll go from there. Okay. Okay. Victor, Thanks, thank Mark. you so much for, for being a, a regular caller and a supporter of the show. Uh, Katie. Actually, this is my, this is my own second. I'm sorry, Victor, I lost you there. If you're still there, you can jump back into the queue, but for now, uh, Katie, Thank you for being patient. I feel free to tell me if this is too much of a um, change of topic. That's okay. But I was wondering, there were some some high profile elections abroad, uh -huh. um, the Brazilian election and the Italian one. And I know you did work on the Brazilian. Yeah, 
campaign, and I just wondered what your your takeaways were <clears throat> from that. Well, let me say this. I, yeah, and, and um, I, I don't mind going into any questions that you guys ask if I'm if I'm capable of answering them. You know, I, I will say this. I, I'm a big, big b believer in the fact that this rise in American fascism, what we're seeing on the American right, is coordinated globally, right? And you guys have heard me talk about that a lot. It's why I went into Ukraine to see what they're doing um, in terms of messaging and, and, and cyber warfare in back in May. I got involved with the race against Bolsonaro in Brazil, and I went there last month. Um, to help, to learn, to teach, to get engaged. Um, Bolsonaro, of course, was endorsed by Donald Trump and Viktor Orban the day before the election. All of this stuff is globally coordinated. So I'm trying to press the people that will listen to me, the fans of this show, followers on social media, that it, the, the, the fight between Republicans and Democrats, of course, is very important. But what I would argue is it's it's equally as important to start looking beyond the shores of America because even if even if Democrats and I want Democrats to win because of the rising authoritarian threat that the Republican Party presents, but even if Democrats win all of the races, everything controlled both houses of Congress and the White House for the next ten or fifteen years, if we're not paying attention globally, it doesn't matter. We're going to lose our democracy anyway. I'm convinced of that. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So I don't want to scare people into that paralysis, but, but I'm there. I'm in country. I'm seeing this money. I'm seeing this coordination. I'm seeing the messaging. I'm seeing what's going on. If you don't think that the Russians are engaged in this as a matter of warfare and haven't been practicing global you know, chaos and conflict with us um, going back 15 years, you are not truly aware of what is happening in the world. The, Russia is losing the war in Ukraine, but they are winning the war uh, against democracies globally. And that is Putin's real aim. That's what they're doing. And it's going to require good people of conscience to be paying attention. And in some places, a bit here. there is progress. Uh, I, I can't but we are losing ground. Uh, Macron, the Macrons, you know, have been a nationalist party in France for many years. They're they're on the rise. Okay, all right. Can you hear me now? Hello. <laughs> uh, Hello. Yeah, I Hello? can hear you. Yeah, now I can hear you. Hello. Okay, let me try it right here. So what we have to remember is that. Um, uh, what's happening in Italy is a little bit different because of the way the parliamentary system is working. But the fascist movement in Italy really is a lot like what has happened here in the United States because the um, right-wing um, fascists have purchased most of the media, most of the television channels there, and they're starting to communicate that messaging in a way that is obviously very, very dangerous. Um, Bolsonaro... Um, Look, I think Lula is in a very strong position to win, okay? The polling understated Bolsonaro's support by about 10 points, which was not atypical of what we saw in 2016 where there was a shy Trump voter. There were people that were really saying, I'm undecided, but they were really going to vote for Donald Trump. It's the same thing in, in, in Brazil. People know that it's socially unacceptable to vote for a racist, a homophobic, you know, a, a right-wing Christian nationalist who is, you know, 
saying that if you're not with us, then you're satanic. Like people know that's not socially acceptable, but they're voting for him anyway, which is a big concern. And that's not just in Brazil. That's obviously here in the United States. And it clearly it's become a global dynamic. But when I look at the race to analyze who's likely to win, Lula was the, the polling on Lula, which is the more important characteristic, got it dead on. The pollsters called exactly what his support levels were. And my strong suspicion is those voters that broke towards Bolsonaro are already built in the new model. In other words, if you didn't vote for Bolsonaro this first round, the chances of you being more of an anti-Bolsonaro vote are very, very high. And remember, there's compulsory voting in Brazil, so we know what turnout's going to be. It's 100%. You have to vote in Brazil. So it's not like we're guessing here. The remaining 8%, Bolsonaro has to win 80% of the remaining vote he did not get. That's not going to happen. That's extraordinarily problematic. But the real dangerous thing, and this is what, what, what should cause us concern, is if it's not a 10-point victory, he is going to claim voter fraud. They will launch a coup. They're doing everything they could, just like Donald Trump. It's why at the Lincoln Project, we were trying to win by as big a margin as possible to protect the country during the interregnum. Is if, is if Biden had won by seven, eight points, uh, percentage points, and by a much wider margin in the Electoral College, the chances of an attempted coup like we saw would have been greatly diminished. That's unfortunately where we're at in American history, and it's going to be global history, is you're going to have to beat these tyrants by ever-increasing margins because they simply lie and say there is fraud and um, they're going to use the military to overthrow the results. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of, I hope that was helpful. Yeah, no, I, I was just a little concerned about the results, in particularly Brazil, because we know what the actual results are. In yeah, I'm not, I'm not really worried about Brazil. Um, I, I didn't like that, that so many voters were really with Bolsonaro and they were telling us in the polls that they were with Ciro. The candidate Ciro was kind of the one who was polling at about 10, 12 points. He ended up getting 2% and all of that vote went to Bolsonaro. But like I said, I, I'm a firm believer that most of that vote is going to go to Lula. And even if most of it doesn't, Bolsonaro has to get 80% of it to, be, to win the race. I don't think that's going to happen. That doesn't mean that, that there isn't going to be problems. There probably will be. But in terms of a legitimate popular support, the anti-Bolsonaro side will, will likely win the election. Perfect. Well, I, that's promising, but I'm still worried about, uh, you know, a January 6th style thing happening. That's there. very likely. And yeah. So. And I, I've got to figure out if I'm going to go down there for it or not. <laughs> but I think there's a good chance. There's a good chance that that's going to happen. Like who will happen? We're just going to have to wait and see if the international community responds. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. We're just going to have to see. The, the world's in a very precarious place right now, and we're all intertwined. Pro-democracy forces have to start working together in a coordinated fashion. All right. Well, thank you so much. Katie, thanks for your patience. Thanks for waiting in the queue, and thanks for joining in the show. Annika. Um, I guess I got two questions. So the first question was, uh, the news was talking about Hispanics, or actually a lot of everybody is worried about the, the uh, economy and stuff like that. Then how do we message people that democracy is important if without democracy, 
the future, it might affect the economy and then it will affect our bread and butter issue. And then the other thing is like, I was listening to one of the CPAC clip that you, sh- you share on your mm-hmm. Twitter. They see that they are going to, they were also communicating with people in Korea and uh, Japan. Is that true? Did they hear correctly? That they, they are actually working with the right wing in Korea? Yeah, and- the, the right wing is working together everywhere. That's what, I, that's what I'm trying yeah. to raise awareness of, is if we are looking at this as Republicans and Democrats, we're missing the battle that's going on, and we're going to get swallowed by it. It's very important to fight for elections here, but guys, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, 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 that my followers you know, start raising the alarm bell to start driving the media in there to start covering this differently. The whole world is involved in the same conflict. It's the rise of tyranny. Keep in mind, all of this stuff started happening around 2012, 2016. There's a reason why. Brexit and Nigel Farage were funded by the Russians. Donald Trump was funded by the Russians. Viktor Orban is funded by the Russians. Erdogan in Turkey gets money from the Russians. Duterte was probably getting money from the Russians. Bolsonaro was absolutely getting money from the Russians. All of this is, all of this is connected. All of it is connected, and so we're going to have to fight back in a connected, coordinated way because it doesn't matter if the Democrats win everything. You you still lose everything if you're fighting the wrong battlefield. So you're saying that even, uh, I guess, the Swedish, right? Yeah. The Swedish was kind of— Yeah, a lot of these people are trained by Christian nationalists in the Russian Orthodox Church. Most of these right-wingers, these fascists— Natasha Del Toro did a great series on this called uh, a podcast series called Verified. Tune into this and and listen to it. It's very chilling and sobering, but it's what you need to pay attention to. Most of these right wing groups, most of these right wing groups need to, to, to you need to understand they all trace back to Russian professionals that teach and promote Christian nationalism. Nationalism, especially infused with Christianity, is part and parcel of what the, the, the authoritarian is using in order to take control of democracies. The goal is to overthrow democracies. And notice, there was a, the, the, the period between the fall of the wall and, and 2012 was this 30-year period of, of, of you know, relative peace, Pax Americana. Right. We weren't we weren't dealing. The idea of dictators was basically on the ash heap of history. Well, we've got now what I call these digital dictators. The rise of these new dictators isn't it's not coincidence. It's coordinated. They're all coming from the same same origin spot. And it's because democracy is a threat to the Putins of the world. Can can I ask another question? Is is because when I watch reading the news and everything, is it sipping into our military? Because like, what's that guy, the Flynn guy, and then yeah, the, of course, uh, yeah, of course, it's there. Yeah, it's it's it, it's in the Senate. It's in the it's in the U.S. Senate. Ron Johnson is going to Russia on the Fourth of July, and he he's promoting. You know, insurrectionist message. I mean, y- yes. When we when we find out some of the details of the January sixth report, and when we get reports on how deep this got into the 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 the, the Trump presidency, uh, yeah, they're in the military. Hell yeah, they were in the White House 
They were in the Senate. They're half. Of, they're they're a big part of the Republican caucus. Yeah, they're in the military. Now, that's not the big. The bigger threat is they're in the Senate. They're in our government. They're elected officials. They've taken over a Republican Party. Yes, it's folks. It's 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 here. We are in the fight. It's not coming. It's here. That's what we're fighting. And like I said, this is one front. Amer- the United States of America is one front where it's happening. It's happening everywhere. So. So yes, yes, it's in the military. It's in all aspects. It's it's become systemic. It's 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 a systemic problem that we are fighting socially, and it's 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 very real. It's very dangerous. Okay. Well, last one. Can you share the podcast that you were talking about? The what? You know, so that oh, podcast. Yeah, it's called it's called Verified. I'll I'll post it in the chat room. It's called it's called okay. Verified. And Natasha Del Toro. It's very very good. It's like a four or five part series. That, that traces right-wing movements all back to nationalist movements in the Russian Orthodox Church. And she literally uh, you know, interviews these people and, and, and traces them back. It's really fascinating, really good work. Okay, thank you. You bet. Thank you for the questions. Um, appreciate, um, sorry to be getting off topic there, but, but, but I appreciate, uh, appreciate, appreciate where that went. Katie, another question. Are you there? I, I, uh, sorry, that was an accidental. I must have accidentally. Oh, okay. I didn't. Have no, it. no problem. I'll drop it. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much. Right. Andrew, go ahead. You're yeah. up. My voice is my voice you is going. I got. Uh, I've got uh, one person who's been helping me, saying I need a professional. Like my voice is strained because I don't speak right, which I don't think I do my whole life. But it's probably that and talking too damn much. But yeah, my voice only gives me about an hour. And, and this time of year, I'm literally doing podcasts and media interviews all day long. So um, at a certain point, I, I'm going to have uh, to, to, to jump off. But, but not yet. We've got a couple more questions. Andrew, how can I help? I think you get a bit, bit too excited. excited yeah. <laughs> chill, chill out a little bit. Go with the, go with yeah. The yeah. Um, the stuff about the Tom Bonnier that you were saying before, that, that's excellent. I've been following him yeah. for a while. What I've noticed is that the polls don't actually capture the gender gap that changed in the electorate, mm-hmm. right? So women seem to have um, have been at, been out registering men for quite a while now, post-obs, and the polls haven't caught up to that mm-hmm. in terms of the way that they present the poll in terms of the sampling, right? So they might do a 51-49 men versus women or 52 48 uh women versus men right so the, i think the electorate the way they're capturing those polls is probably why it's slipping you're not seeing that because they're not actually capturing yeah. the um what what are, what the polling will reflect on election day and until they catch up i think a lot of us are sort of you know looking at some races and maybe they're closer than what they would normally be right until you know what what are we 30 days yeah. out yeah. Is that right? Thirty mm-hmm. days out. So you might not you might not actually capture it in time if the pollers the pollsters don't actually adjust their models based upon the registered um, gender gap in the electorate. Yeah, and I've I've talked about this at length in a couple of other podcasts. The the challenge there is Dobbs is is so new that it's hard to adjust the model based off of vote history because it's it's not in the historic record, right? You would basically uh, making adjustments based off of your gut, based off of a pure gut feeling. And that's not what pollsters do. You have to have demonstrable evidence 
in order to make it scientifically valid. And look, the post-Dob things is real. It it creates a conundrum because it's clearly happening, but there's nothing quantifiable to demonstrate that it is based off of a historical trend line. So, So how do you make the adjustment and how much of an adjustment do you make is the is the problem that pollsters face, and 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 well, we don't know, right? But that, if you if you are a believer of that, as Tom is, what he's saying is the polls aren't reflecting a built-in, a newly built-in Democratic base of support, and it's why the polls were wrong in the New York special. It's why they under uh, they undercounted the the Nebraska special. It's why they didn't see what was happening in Kansas. It's all very good evidence. Everything he is saying is good evidence, but you cannot adjust your poll based off of that because there's no there's no science behind it. And and as I mentioned earlier in the show, if the immigration and crime stuff is having an effect with Republican women coming back, is that enough to offset what was happening in those specials? In other words, if in New York 19 the Republican candidate was running on illegal immigration in a crime and, 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 and law and order message instead of inflation, mm. which is what they were running on. They were running on inflation, but, but, but they could stop the bleeding with Republican women going to vote for the Democratic woman with that issue. What would that do? How would that have affected the race? And, and because of that, you cannot guess as a pollster as to what the turnout model will be on anything other than a historical record and that that's that's the conundrum so look i think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that what you're saying and tom are saying is correct my gut tells me that's right will i quantifiably say that no because there's no evidence to say it no i would i would be more inclined to trust the polls in states that have um and have had a successful um automatic voter registration Mm -hmm. program right right because that probably gives you a more stable that's exactly right where states where it's it's not the case, you're going to see, you might be seeing the surge in registration, but you're not going to capture that until you know, decision day, right? right? So, you know, I would sort of I would sort of lay out the case that, you know, those those states which have stable registration, known registration, more reliable, and you're going to have some. I think you're going to see a few upsets on election night just because we don't. There's a lot of unknowns. Which I think is, that's right. You know, which, I think which, that's right. Keep, keep your eye on North Dakota. Keep your eye on Oklahoma. The, the, you could have Democratic governors in those states. Now, conversely, you could have a Republican governor in Oregon, right? But, but the, I, I, think, I think the race is so – I think that we are so, so close. I don't think that there will be a lot of, of indication on data one way or the other. I think it's going to be all over the place, and a lot of it's going to be regional, and a lot of it's going to be specific to the dynamics of each given race. I don't think you're going to see a blue wave. I don't think you're going to see a red wave. I think you're going to see some Republican surprises and some Democratic surprises, and a lot of people are going to be um, wrong um, on Election Day because they're making all these prognostications based off of data where we simply don't have enough information that's why i put i i look the generic ballot because of the, the morning consult has the generic ballot breaking up for the democrats by a wide number maybe that's happening i don't know but if you look at 538 it's still a republican lean so when i when i look at that you know what i and i i, I posted this or i tweeted this earlier the polls are muddy muddy there's clear as mud so when that happens 
focus on the fundamentals of the race. It's what I've always told you guys. Polls, we have this obsession with polls because you know we, we become kind of political junkies and we need that next hit. And a polls get us excited. But polls are simply data points. They're like putting a pin in a map. And until you, if you don't look at them that way, it'll drive you mad. You, you won't be able to sleep because you'll be looking at the next round of polls and you can't wait for the next hit. And it confuses you even more. And you, you, it, it stretches you out until you get the next hit. And it's not telling you anything. That's not what polls are designed to do. So, again, I, I would strongly recommend looking at the fundamentals. I look at the polls, too, because I love them. But you've got to keep them in perspective. And that's kind of all that I'm saying. I think there's a good argument for what you're saying, Andrew. I think that Tom is really bringing a very important discussion to light. I think there's a very good chance he looks really, really smart on Election Day because he's the guy warehousing the data. And he's the only one who can say, my data is showing a fundamental shift in the electorate that no pollster can credibly build in because that development is too freaking new to scientifically say that's what's going on. But I think you and he are both onto something. I think that could very well be what happens on election night. Uh, um, next time I pop in, I might ask you about voter suppression. And I know you're about to, Yeah, let's, let's do that one tomorrow. <laughs> well, tomorrow, I'll rest the voice a little bit because i got to do this again tomorrow. Thanks again, Andrew. appreciate it. Oh, talk Thanks, to you. Bye. Jeez. Peggy, you're up. Hi, <coughs> hey. Mike. Haven't taken vocal lessons and singing lessons. You need a vocal coach. To I think I do. You sound okay. great, but it's the vo- it's it's that the breathing and all of that. You sound great. I appreciate great. it. It's painful. <laughs> I got I got to learn to do it because it, it does hurt my voice. It hurts my throat. I've I've dealt with it all my life, but I've just I, I've never talked to this much, right? I'm usually the the quiet guy just going right. through numbers, and 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 um, this is a little bit different for me. So I am going to take take that advice. I need to get a speech coach and learn how to talk. I am. In my 50s, it's about time I learned how to talk properly. Especially now, there's a lot going on, and you're all over the place, and you're talking about it. It's all good information, but, you know, anyway. <laughs> so we were talking about guests before, and we talked about the international stage, mm-hmm. right? So when he gets back from Ukraine, <laughs> possibly Malcolm Nance could be a guest. Oh, okay, yeah, I could reach out to Malcolm for sure. Yeah, I have been reading his books, and it's why I take sleeping medicine to go to sleep yeah. at night. This thing is, you know, from intellig- an intelligence guy, a spy, you know, this is different than a pundit. I have forced myself through yeah. his books, but it, the information is there and the plot to betray America. He goes through all the different countries and where it's rising yep. up. Yeah, no, he, yeah, this is not new. Ann Applebaum has talked about it at length. Malcolm Nance has talked yes. about it. Molly McHugh. This is not new. It's it, it's 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 it, the only reason we don't hear about it more is that the American audience is not that trained to understand politics outside of Republicans versus Democrats. But it, it's it. Look at our previous caller, Andrew. Right? He calls in. He's interested. He's intrigued. That's typical of more international audiences, right? He's calling in from Australia, right? It's, it's they, right. The rest of the world pays attention to the U.S.'s politics because it matters. It has this effect, and most people outside of the United States are, are more worldly anyway. The United States is extraordinarily insular. We don't, have, we don't even have a real good grasp of our own governmental system, let alone focus on attention elsewhere. 
so what I'm saying is it's not new. It's not new, right? The, the, not new. No, it's but, not. but it is, it is it's happening in a more advanced, coordinated way than anything we have seen before, and it's working. Like the forces of authoritarianism are taking root, and they're working. Now, the good news is it's, it's been a bad month for dictators so far. We'll see what happens in Brazil. You know, they've got a victory in, in Italy. But by and large, you know, I think Lula's in a good position. Trump is in deep, deep shit. Um, you know, th- th- there's enough to say, hey, wait a second. Putin's in, Putin's in real, real trouble at home. Like, Iran, women in Iran, yeah, w- women in Iran have had it. Like, it's, uh, you know, th- th- these are good developments. Like, people are, are, are pushing back in their respective countries against this sort of form of government oppression because a lot of folk, a lot of these tyrannical governments – uh, they, they really have to crack down and hold on if they're gonna if they're gonna maintain control. Their countries can't democratize. You can't have free speech. You can't have an internet. You have to control people in order to maintain power. Right? We've known that. That's hard. That's harder and harder to do in the digital age. And the way they've decided to do it was to be very proactive by dividing democracies raising racial tension, exacerbating gender disparities, uh, foment- really fo- I, was, religion, I was just yeah. going to say fomenting Christian nationalism is really important because what it does is it, it, it otherizes secular governments and it forces people to look towards a more tyrannical fascist form of government, which is what they want. They'd rather deal with other dictators because a, a democracy anywhere is becoming a threat to authoritarians everywhere. So this brings me my, to a, a, a point, a, a different question I just thought mm-hmm. of now. I, I, I love these discussions. I'm becoming really a nerd, but you have to be. It's democracy. Right. What, you know? So in the Republican Party, how, which brings me to this, how much of it is based on a lust for power? How much is syncophancy for Donald Trump? And how much of it is that authoritarian i'm in it because you know we need to control people we need to be authoritarians or is it just sycophancy i think well let me let me try to explain it this way and i actually talked i think a little bit with trippy on this on on Corey's uh podcast earlier Mm. it's really hard for people to grasp because they, they automatically um dismiss it but i need you to everybody to just suspend reality for just a moment and think about how intensely angry and scared and pissed off you are with Republicans and what they're going to do to this country. And I need right. you to understand that there are Republicans who feel the exact same way about the Democratic Party. And they view this wokeism stuff and cultural stuff as a true threat to the American way. They believe that this is seeping communism and Marxism that is designed to attack American institutions. Okay? They believe it as fervently as you do. And they, they will be persuaded as little as you will be to vote Republican. And... and I have voted Republican. Yeah, and, and yeah, okay, but that, that's that's not the point, though. You you, you would you would you would right. not right now, okay? You would not right now vote for Republicans. 
this is authoritarian. It's not Democrat Republican for me. It's authoritarian. You can say it. How, you can say it however you want. That's how they say it too. That you're not. You're not. You're not oh. hearing what I'm saying. Okay. It okay. is what they're saying is you as a somebody supporting the Democratic Party is a threat to democracy as they see it. Now that was one of the fa- I, I brought this poll. I brought this polling issue up earlier. Right. Is 67 percent in an an NBC poll said that American democracy was under threat. Sixty seven percent of all Americans. You know what? Sixty seven percent of Democrats said that. But sixty seven percent of Republicans said it, too. It's the only data point where there's complete agreement is each party believes that the other party is a threat to American style democracy. Okay. And when you when you believe okay. that that fervently, it's not even that you believe that your party is a good party or is doing the right thing. It's that they fear the takeover, complete takeover of the other party. That's what's happening. And that is that those divisions are what has been fomented by misinformation campaigns for a long, long time. And by the way. When we talk about misinformation, a lot of this stuff is also simply highlighting the extremes in both parties to further polarize us. It's not, it's not yeah. all just ivermectin and, and masks or tyranny. We all know that goofy-ass shit. We all know the big lie. We all know that stuff is really, really bad. But it's the same thing when you start to see things on social media of Nazi ceremonies and, and tying that in with republicanism or, or evangelical Christianity, right? And I'm not saying it's not there. I'm saying, right. I'm saying when that is exponentially promoted on a lot of these sites, it starts to give us a skewed perspective of what people in the other party are actually like. And that makes it harder for us to think wants to find common ground it wants it makes us want to defeat our fellow countrymen as enemies of the state and both parties do this and even when even when both parties don't do this the russians are more than happy to do it for both parties because the the more we can't get along the better russia is doing that's the whole point right and that worked really well in 2016, where it really came into our, started to come into my consciousness. And I started to see this division on the left. And in 2016, I didn't understand it, but I wanted to understand yeah. it. So that's, you know, where my skills of discernment came in yeah. and reading and Malcolm, and yeah. all, you know, many right. other things. But, you know, oh, thank you so Albert much. It was helpful. Thank you so much for your work. Keep it up. 30 more days. Guys, my voice is about shot. I hope that this has been helpful. I hope the Herschel Walker stuff has been helpful. We'll see how this plays out over the course of the next 30 days. Keep an eye open for those strategies that I was talking about. I think they're going to tell you a lot. My goal here was to kind of give you an insider's perspective on the way campaigns have dealt with these issues in the past, the way they're likely to deal with them in the next coming days. And I'm hoping it'll give you really, really good insight into what is happening on the ground in Georgia, which may be the balance of power in the United States sentiment. We'll talk to you tomorrow night on Mic Drop. Thank you, everybody.